Happy Mother's Day. We do have awesome, awesome mothers in this church. Uh, if you are a woman and you have no biological children, you still have this calling on the inside of you of a mother, and I don't want you to think we're forgetting about you. You have every bit of motherly compassion and, 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 and abilities that the Lord has given every woman. And I'm telling you, you are called to raise spiritual children in this world. You're called to mentor. You're called to raise spiritual children that will look to you as a mother. I think much like Ruth looked to Naomi. She wasn't her physical mother, but she said, you're my, you're my person. Where you go, I go. Where you are, I am. And there will be people, if they're not already, young women, maybe even young men that look to you as a mother. So we're celebrating every woman that's in this house today. Before you leave, we're going to have a couple of our teenagers. I was thinking maybe Cohen and Judah could help me out at the very end of the service. We're going to have a big bucket of roses by those double doors, and uh, they're going to hand every single one of you a rose. What you do with that rose is your own business. You might want to put it on your uh, dashboard. You might want to just hold it for a while. I don't know why we're giving you that rose other than just to recognize that we love you and we see you and mamas need at least one rose on Mother's Day. So if you haven't got one, uh, you're going to get a rose before you leave. I'm so glad you're here today with us. What a great day to celebrate Jesus. What a great day to celebrate the Lord. It's every day is a good day. The Bible says that we celebrate because this is the day the Lord has made. We're going to rejoice and be glad in it. Today, there's, it seems like a little bit of extra on that because as we celebrate mothers, as we celebrate that gift of motherhood, I'm going to take a little bit of time in our first part of this worship series to talk about mothers, talk about worship, and introduce this series and go back and forth with some thoughts that I was having this week on, on uh, raising children. So that, that obviously, that involves mothers, it involves fathers, and even if you're thinking, well, I don't have any children, listen, listen, because not every lesson you get is for where you're at right now. There's things coming in the future, and you're going to hear something today. You'll be applied to your daily life and future. So thank you, Jesus, for mothers. Thank you for everybody in this room and that we have a chance right now to hear your word, to plant it in our heart like a seed, and then to see it produce fruit in our lives. Amen. You know, speaking of motherhood, that, you know, the birthing process from conception all the way to birth is a great example, maybe no better one, of how the Word of God works in your life. If you are the person who has said this in the past, in the past, I've read the Bible, I don't understand it. I've read the Bible, it doesn't work. I've quoted scripture, it doesn't work. You know, it's not just magic words that you say and you see a result. No, it's living and active words, not magic. The difference is magic words, we have this idea they come true right away. In fact, I saw... Um, I believe it was one of my nieces this week was probably one of the cutest things that's ever happened in the world there was a problem an issue at the house and my mom Ama, who is the greatest mom right I love my mama she's a good house mama everybody here can call her mama because she is she said I, I'm really confused right now I have to figure out what to do to solve this issue and Jackie my youngest niece says I know what to do bippity boppity boo <laughs> she thought that would fix it she's watched Cinderella recently you know, bippity-boppity-boo did not fix the issue. That's not magic words. They don't exist. But there are living and active words. And what that means is just like a seed is living and active, you have to plant it in your heart. You have to give that seed the nourishment it needs, and you will see it grow 
in time. You'll see it bear fruit in time. That's why the Bible says there's seed time and harvest time. Right now, what we're doing in church on this Sunday, this is seed time, right? And then there will be harvest time if you hear the word and plant it in your heart. I love how Andrew Walmack says it. He says, we like to say seed time and harvest time. It's more like seed time and harvest time. So that's a little bit more like it. You have to dwell on the word. You have to meditate on it. You do not receive your promised child the same day you conceive that promised child. You know, last week, the Lord took us as a church to the book of 1 Samuel. And if you weren't here last week, it wasn't even part of the message. It was just during worship. So I'm going to kick this off. Uh, I guess we're kicking the whole series off with this quick story about Hannah, who was barren. There was another wife in the picture who had children. And it flat out says the other wife who had children spent her time making fun of Hannah, who was barren. And she was in the temple. She was praying and she was believing so hard that the priest, Eli, thought she was drunk. He said, how dare you, lady, come into this temple and pray to God drunk in this state? She said, hang on, I'm not drunk. I'm just passionate of what I'm believing for. And how many of you have been there before where you've been passionate for what you're believing for, but at that point in your life, it may only be a dream. It may only be a thought. It's something the Lord put in your heart, but you're passionate. You've poured your tears out in the front of the Lord. You've poured your tears out with people. But then she got something real special, and it's something you're going to get right now. And it's called the Word of God. And from the mouth of God, through the prophet Eli, through the the priest Eli, he said, you will have your child. And then the verse says, she walked away, and she was no longer sad. That's what stood out to me. Because she didn't walk out holding her child that was promised. She didn't even walk out of that moment impregnated with the child she was promised. She walked out of that building with nothing but a word from God. And she held on to it and she believed it so strong that she was no longer sad. And I believe there's so many of us in our community right now, in our church, that are resisting and fighting that anxiety when it comes our way, that fear that says you'll never hold the promise right? We might be resisting it as best we can, but I'm ready, for this, I'm ready to see us and to see you instead of having to resist it, just not even noticing that anxiety and fear anymore when it tries to come against you because the word of God is so real before you even hold your promise, before you even carry your promise, you are no longer going to be sad. You're no longer going to be depressed. You're no longer going to be anxious. You're no longer going to be in fear because you have a word from God. Amen? Amen? Hannah carried that promise, and she wasn't afraid anymore. So keep that in mind. I'm going to jump into uh, to a little bit about worship. You know, I, when I start off series, I love to introduce an idea, and sometimes I just look up a word, a word I know a definition for already maybe, but I just look it up. And, and I think today's message and next week's message is going to be completely birthed from the good old-fashioned Webster's Dictionary definition of worship. You know, worship is a noun. It's something we do. It's a thing. It's also an action. So I'm going to read you the definition of worship as a noun here. Reverence, high esteem, high regard, adoration, praise, thanksgiving. That's the definition of worship. Here's the, uh, as a noun, here's the definition of worship as a verb, as an action. 
Show reverence and adoration. Sounds a lot like the last one, but this is when we show the reverence, show the adoration, show the honor to glorify, to magnify. And this is the one that I loved and stood out to me as soon as I saw it. I guess Merriam-Webster was a bit of a, uh, he, he liked maybe a bit of imagination, right? That's, that's why he maybe liked to define all these words. He had to use his mind, but this says also the definition of worship as a verb to be wild about something. I like that. You know, it got a little bit wild in here today. I was kind of hoping it would get a little wilder. I was waiting to see a little kid run across the front, but that didn't happen. I was waiting to see maybe an adult run across. I don't know. I was waiting. Uh, It got pretty wild in here, but you know, I believe there'll be a day when it might get even a little bit wilder. And and if you're not joining in, you might could possibly get a little bit freaked out. My, 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 uh, my uh, invitation to you is join in. Let's get a little bit wild about the Lord together. Because, you know, we're not just singing and getting our emotions all wound up. We are being wild about the one who loves us most and also happens to know us best. Did you think about those lyrics as you were singing it? The one who knows me best is the one who loves me most. Do you know what your mind, if you let it, will try to convince you? That the one who knows me all my flaws. The one who knows me best sees all the mistakes I make. The one who knows me best knows those thoughts I have that I do my best to cast down, but I'm still ashamed that it even crossed my mind. The one who knows me best can't possibly love me most. He's seen every bit of me. Yet the truth, the word, the living and active word of God that if you dwell on it will bring revelation and new ways of thinking into your life says that the one who knows you best loves you the most and it is with a love much like a mother's love that is unconditional that doesn't change when you mess up that doesn't change when a dark thought enters your mind a love that doesn't change No matter what you do, Paul said there's no height, there's no depth, there's not east or west that could ever separate you from his love. Also, he happens to know you best. With our human minds, it may not be a concept we could ever fully understand. That's where faith comes in. That's where we have to choose to walk by faith and not by sight. Because when we see things with our eyes, if we allow it to, it'll change us. It'll change the way we think about somebody. It'll change the way we think about ourselves. God doesn't see us with our own eyes. He sees us through the eyes of Jesus. He sees us through the eyes of Jesus. He sees us through eyes that are literally, if if you will, are through a lens called the blood of Jesus. And he sees you through that blood. He sees a son and a daughter who he loves with all his heart, and there's nothing about that that will change. Is that not a father? Is that not a God that is worth being wild about and giving all of our worship, all of our adoration to? Because you do worship something. The definition of worship is not to show reverence and adoration to God. The definition of worship is not to be wild about God. The definition of worship is to be wild about something, to give your honor, your adoration, and your attention to something. That takes us back to commandment number one. You should have no other gods before me. Isn't that an unusual phrase to come out of God's mouth? Literally the only God? I mean, if you picture God as God, 
He's God. There's nobody else out there he's competing with to be God. There's not another deity in the ground that God is competing with for the title of God. He didn't earn it. He is God. He didn't win it. He is God. Yeah, out of his mouth, don't have any gods before me. Do you know what creates a false god? It's what you worship. It's what you adore. It's the thing you are wild about. That's the God in your life. And this is not a message about putting away your hobbies. If you know me personally, I love some hobbies. This is not a message about not enjoying sports. This is not a message about, you will not hear me say during this message, except for right now, and I'm saying it a bit sarcastically, people can go crazy at the football game on Sunday. They better be able to go crazy in church. You won't hear me saying that. I'm okay with people going crazy at football. We also happen to have a church where people go crazy on Sunday mornings for the Lord as well. So this is not a message about throwing everything away, locking yourself in the closet for the rest of your life and only giving any attention whatsoever to God. What this message is going to be about is bringing God out of that closet and bringing him into every other part of your life. That's what worship is. It's not this moment on a Sunday morning when we worship and we go wild and we lift our hands up. Worship is bringing the Lord into every moment, into every hobby, into the sporting events. And as a father and to all the mothers and fathers in here, it's bringing God into the Saturdays when you got to wake up at 5 a.m. and drive to Asheville for a soccer game. And you're like, this was my Saturday. And now it's all about soccer again. And we actually love it, and we actually find joy in it. We also bring the Lord into it. Because what you worship and what you adore, what you, are, what, you, what you bring honor to, what gets your attention becomes the God in your life that you worship. But remember, in reality, there's really only one. And there's only one who's worth worshiping. He is. His son's name is Jesus. The Holy Spirit is a part of God and he sent him to dwell on the inside of us. And he says, now you don't have to go to the temple to worship me. I'm with you when you're washing dishes. I'm with, I'm with you when you're packing the lunches on Friday morning to the moms, like my wife. And you're like, I've made 37 sandwiches this week. One more and I'll have made all the sandwiches I have to make until tomorrow, because <laughs> then it starts over. And life can get to the point when you wake up and you go down your checklist and you go to bed and you wake up and you go down your checklist and you go to bed and you wake up and you go down your checklist and you go to bed and then you wake up and you go to church and you leave and you're like, well, now I'm behind on my checklist. And you go down your checklist and you go to bed. We all know this life. We all know this life. But if there's one point I want to make today, one major point I want to make today and one major point that we're going to carry through this whole series, and that is that there is work to be done in the spirit Jesus did all the work in the spirit his work is complete that's why he said it is finished we live in a fallen world we don't live in the garden of Eden anymore right 
We live in a fallen world, and because we are believers, there is work to be done. Two good things about that, that off the top of my head I can tell you. We're not alone in that work. We have a co-laborer, the Holy Spirit, and we partner with him. That work won't exhaust us. It'll actually rejuvenate us, and we can actually enter into the rest of God as we do that work that we are called to do here in this world. The work doesn't involve earning our salvation. That's a free gift from Jesus. The work doesn't involve anything other than being obedient to the Holy Spirit, going where he says go, saying the words he says to say to other people, telling people the gospel, making disciples, worshiping him. And as we carry worship through every part of our lives, we will be, and this is the major point, fulfilling the highest calling we have as people. Doesn't that sound crazy? Maybe at first. If I were to ask a hundred Christians, what is the purpose of life? You would get probably 50 different answers. Somebody would say, well, to go lead people to the kingdom, to get them saved. Somebody else would say to heal the sick, maybe. Somebody else would say to make disciples. Somebody would say to, to be productive and give to society, raise children well and There'd be a lot of different answers, and probably at least none of the ones I just said are bad answers. They're not bad things. But there is just one answer, and we read about it all throughout the Bible from page one, literally all the way through the end. On page one, we read about a God who creates a universe, who creates man in his own image, and you get to the very back in Revelation, and in Revelation 4.11, we get this great verse, why was man created? For your pleasure. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. For His pleasure. Do you know when we worship, it brings Him pleasure? You know, you can't bring God pleasure by making Him a really great cheeseburger. You can give me pleasure by making me a great cheeseburger your husband, your wife, your friends happy by, by inviting them over to your home and, and it's clean and it's relaxing and there's a great meal. That's great. But God doesn't eat food. You bring the Lord pleasure through worship, through time with him. If you think about this picture of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they were created in the image of God and they were created for a purpose. Yet, there was nobody else on earth for them to go preach the gospel to. So they couldn't have been created to go spread the gospel. There was no sick to heal. So they couldn't have been created to go heal the sick. There were no disciples out there or people that could be made into disciples. There was no one for them to disciple in that way. There was a garden that needed tending, yet it's not exactly like the gardens we have now. It involved probably a pretty fun exercise of naming animals and giving them purpose and giving them meaning in their own lives. It involved walking with the Lord and enjoying his creation. Somehow the harvest did not involve them tilling the ground and planting the food and waiting forever because that was part of the curse of sin. From now on, it's going to take work to get that food out of the ground. So it was a bit of a different type of garden than what we might picture None of the things I said to bring people into the kingdom, to get them saved, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to make disciples, none of that existed when man was created. So why were they created? Revelation 4.11, for his pleasure. 
Worship is our highest calling. How is this also a Mother's Day message? Because sometimes we can get lost in the mundane and start to see work as our highest calling. And if we don't see it that way, it can just become that way in our own mind. Because what happens when you wake up in the morning, especially as a mom? I know for years and years, this is how Lisa woke up every morning. Mom, 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 I need you. Mom, I threw up and it's everywhere. Mom, it's worse than throw up and it's everywhere. (laughs) And if you're not about bringing worship into every moment, including the mundane, getting up, making sandwiches, waking up, helping the kids, waking up, going to work, waking up, doing whatever it is on the list. If you're not intentional about bringing worship, bringing the Lord into those moments, then if we're not careful, work can become that God that we worship. And we may start to really believe that our work, whether it's a physical job whether it's housekeeping, whether it's raising children, whatever it is, it all takes work. But you know, work is not our highest calling. Worship is our highest calling. And I could talk about it all day, and I'm going to talk about it for weeks and weeks. But there's some great points about worship, including that in the natural, we're not even going to come back to this today. I'm just going to throw this out there, and you're going to have to wait to see what I say. In the natural, you know, worship It appears and has all appearances of just a waste. When you worship in spirit and in truth, that means you're doing something that kind of serves no benefit in the natural. It doesn't benefit our church to worship for 45 minutes or 50 minutes or longer. In fact, a lot of places don't worship for more than 15 or so minutes because they don't know how to make it work. They don't know how to use worship as, as a part of their service. They don't consider it very useful. Truth is, it's not very useful. It doesn't bring people into your church. It doesn't feed the hungry. It doesn't clothe the naked. It doesn't pay for, it doesn't bring money into the benevolence fund to take care of people. It serves no natural purpose. Yet, you're fulfilling your greatest calling as a human. When you take time and you point your attention and your affection to the Lord. I'm going to summarize the story of Mary and Martha, and we'll get back to it next week even deeper. But here's a picture of what I'm saying right now. And if you're thinking, I don't quite know exactly what Pastor BJ is saying, this is a picture of it that we see in the New Testament. There's a moment, it's from the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Actually, I will just read it. It's short. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these little details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it won't be taken away from her. I want you to notice Martha wasn't doing anything negative. She was preparing a meal. She was making sure the house was clean. Jesus didn't say, Martha, you're doing something wrong. He did say, Martha, Mary is doing something better. Martha, Mary is doing something 
that has eternal purposes. You're doing something that you and I both know all these kids are going to have it ruined and wrecked again before you go to bed. You're doing something that's so temporary is going to be over in about 10 minutes after it's complete. Every time, every time I spray the front of our stainless steel refrigerator and clean those fingerprints off and whatever that grime is made of that I do not want to actually know what it's made of, I battle the thought, even though my kids are teenagers, somehow this is going to be grimy and covered in fingerprints again before the night. Somehow there's going to be just like, put your hand at the top and run it all the way down. Like, why did you need to run your hand all the way down the refrigerator? And at least, why didn't you stop at the bar that opens the freezer? Why'd you go past the bar and go even lower? Why? Jesus didn't say, hey, it's wrong to clean that. He just said, hey, listen, if you're not bringing me into even that moment, if you're not taking time, if your attention is not first and foremost right here in this eternal purpose, then you're just not doing the best thing. Work is important. Work is so important. But what I want to encourage you to do today is redirect the attention when the work is happening, because it has to happen, because if my wife doesn't make those sandwiches, I'm going to have to make those sandwiches. And if I don't make those sandwiches, the kids just aren't going to have lunch. And they're going to have to get what's called the emergency lunch over at Gaston Christian. It used to be like a little sandwich and chips. You know what it is this year? It is a few Fritos. They get a few free. No, I'm, somebody just looks very offended. It's actually more than a few Fritos. I'm sorry that I just said that. It's not a full sandwich, but it's also not just a few Fritos. However... The emergency lunch is not enough to fill up a 13-year-old growing boy, right? It takes about 10 of those emergency lunches to fill up a 13-year-old growing boy. If those sandwiches don't get made, they don't eat. The work is important. It's important. But when we bring our first and our greatest calling into the work, let me tell you, it lights that work up with energy, even on a Monday morning. Even on a Wednesday hump day when you're like, is, this, is it Friday yet? Even on Friday morning when you're just ready for the weekend, it brings energy. It brings encouragement. And the focus shifts from more of the same, more of the same, to what do you have in store for me today? It wasn't that Martha was doing something wrong. It was that Mary was doing something better. Martha was cleaning things. Jesus never asked her to clean. She was making a meal he never asked her to make. He just said, Mary has figured out what's eternal. I'm not taking it away. What if we don't eat tonight? Then maybe Jesus had food they didn't know about. It happened before. That's what he told his disciples. What if the house didn't get clean? Well, then the house just didn't get clean. There's a more important house, and it's this temple right here. It's the temple that holds your heart. It's the temple that holds your spirit. It's the temple where the spirit of God is housed. This is the last thing I want to share this morning. And you can sum up a lot of what I'm saying here with Colossians 3.23. Paul wrote, whatsoever you do, yep, so ever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. I love that Lisa, as she was worshiping today, she quoted Psalm 113 verse 8 to all of us. It says, God takes the barren woman and makes her a joyful mother. Let's see if we can get up there. I'm, I'm, I'm skipping one part in there. It talks about upkeep of the house as well. Let's see. There we go. Oh, verse 9, I'm sorry, 113 verse 9. He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. 
Praise ye the Lord. This is not just even saying the Lord can take a mother and make her a joyful mother. A barren woman is somebody who has tried to have children, yet it hasn't happened. A barren woman is a mother that has no children and is probably facing thoughts that are devastating, thoughts that are full, and she could step into depression or anxiety because a barren woman is a woman, especially uh, in the culture and the time period and when this was written, a barren woman is somebody who you would maybe have the image of she is facing some of the hardest emotional and mental trials she's ever faced. And God is able and will take that woman and make her a joyful mother of children. Man, that's a powerful word. And you know, a mother of children doesn't mean I'm going to worship all day in my prayer closet and I'll be joyful and the kids will survive. I mean, the truth is they just won't. You and I both know it. They won't. You're going to have to keep them alive. And that's going to take feeding them and taking care of them and explaining that that stove is hot. Don't touch it. That street is dangerous. Don't run across it. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes work. But the Lord will make you a joyful mother. And that's not based on if everything is going right. In fact, barren means everything's going wrong. But God can take you from whatever circumstance you're in. And he can make you joyful. Think about this mother that we read about. We don't even get to meet her in the word. We just know she exists. Okay, that was not meant to be very deep, but I know that there's some mothers in here that have that exact thought. Hey, I actually exist. You may not have met me. I feel like nobody knows me. I feel like all I do right now is is exist in the life of these kids, right? But let me tell you, just like this mother I'm about to read about, you exist. You are seen. You are loved deeply. The one who knows you best loves you the most. The one who has seen you get a little bit mad at those kids and maybe even have to go back and apologize later, hey, I went a little bit overboard, he still loves you the most. But much like many mothers today, we don't actually get to meet this lady. We read about her son who shows up the day Jesus is about to teach 5,000 men, which probably included about 5,000 women and children at least. We're talking a crowd of 10,000 plus people. Jesus is about to teach them and he realizes, man, they've skipped lunch. They might have skipped dinner. They're hungry. Bring me any food you have. The disciples found this kid who his mother packed his lunch that day. There's a basket of a few loaves of bread and a few fish. And he says, young man, can I have? So Jesus takes the lunch this mother packed. Let's just call it a random Thursday. Who knows what day it was? But it was probably at least felt random and at least felt mundane, or at least she battled those thoughts when she woke up and packed that kid a lunch, just like mothers do just about every day for those kids. But that day, Jesus took the lunch she packed and he fed over 10,000 people with that food. There was 12 baskets of leftovers. So this mom got like 11 new baskets and enough food to feed her family for a couple days at least. 
I don't know how big the family was. I don't know how big baskets were back then, but there was more food that came home than she went and gave to that son. I'm not saying that she felt like it was mundane because like I said, we don't get to meet this lady in the text. We don't get to meet her or hear about when she packed those lunches back and tell you she at least had a chance to look at that moment and see nothing but another mundane day of packing lunches and feeding children. However, when those thoughts become a bit redirected from the mundane to the reminder that not only am I deeper than the surface level, not only am I more than just a mom, more than just a wife, more than just a husband, more than just a man, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. As a New Testament believer, the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. I don't care if I'm going to a job that I go Monday through Friday or if I'm staying at home today or if I'm going to church. The Holy Spirit has a plan for this day. And it is not to just keep this day boring and to make things uh, just same old, same old. If nothing else, if I'm locked in my house all day, I can have a moment in worship in the presence of my Father like I've never had before. I can have a great adventure right here, right now. I can step out my front door and go to the 9 to 5 and have one of the greatest moments of my life, an eternal moment maybe with a coworker that needs an encouraging word. But when we redirect our thoughts from more sandwiches, more fish, more bread, more tucking in, more throw up on the bed sheets, more whatever it is, and we redirect it to what Colossians says, bring worship into every moment. Lord, I'm doing this for you. These are my kids, but they're going to worship around your throne forever. In a billion years from now, they'll still be worshiping you. These children were created to bring you pleasure, and you've given me the chance to raise them. You've given me, you trust me enough with their lives to raise these beings that will exist for the rest of eternity and worship at your feet. And in those moments, You'll never know what day of the week Jesus takes that moment of the mundane and feeds 10,000 people with it and brings a blessing back into your life. That moment was so much bigger than even feeding 10,000 people. We're talking about it 2,000 years later. There are those of us in this room that have faced hard times and seen lack in the natural, yet we remembered that story and we said, Lord, I know that if my bank account is dry, you are still the God that takes care of me and feeds my family. And then we saw our miracle, and it goes back to this mom packing a lunch on a random Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, but she was faithful in it. And the Lord took it and has changed so many people's perspectives and brought miracles into our lives because of that moment. So here's the encouragement as I invite the band back up. For mothers, for fathers, for future mothers, future fathers, for anybody in this room, this applies. But when the work starts, redirect your thoughts. And if you're to the point when you don't even think during the work, it's just kind of habit. That's not great either. If you're not redirecting your thoughts, intentionally remind yourself that in the moments we may think are mundane, they're a gift from the Lord. 
And as we redirect our thoughts and, and thank you, Jesus, for this moment, what do you want to do with this lunch today? What do you want to do in my life today? You're so good. And, and, and we do these as unto the Lord, like it says in Colossians. And we, we turn these mundane moments into worship. And then we'll rejoice. You know what would be a, a horribly sad follow-up? We don't have any follow-up with this family, but what if that mom had such a bad day? What if, she was, what if she was in such a bad mood? This kid brings home 12 baskets of leftovers, and I mean, there's a chance she missed the miracle. There's a chance she was just frustrated and said, well, I, what is all this? Well, Jesus gave it to me. Whatever, go put it in the cupboard. That happens to all of us all the time. We're missing the miraculous right in front of us because we're so focused on the work side of it. But the work even though it's important and necessary, it's not your first calling. Your first calling, your greatest calling is to bring pleasure to the one who created you. And you do it through worship. And that's not just what we do here on Sunday mornings. That's something you can bring into every moment. Worship is what you adore. You worship what you honor. You worship the thing you are wild about. Bring the Lord into raising kids. Bring the Lord into your hobbies. Bring the Lord into the sports. Enjoy it, whatever it is, but bring the Lord into it. And see everything, like Paul said in Colossians, everything become moments of worship and adoration, not to the thing that's in front of you, but to the God who's on the inside of you, who turns the mundane peanut butter and jellies into a story that encourages believers by the millions daily. That's good news. That's good news. There's not one mundane moment of your life that's wasted by the Father. Every moment, every moment, He sees, He takes, He knows. And if we allow Him to, every moment becomes feeding the 5,000. Every moment becomes energized every moment becomes filled or as filled with the holy spirit as you are and you as a believer are wall to wall holy ghost on the inside thank you jesus i'm so excited to talk about worship for the next few weeks i i have so many other points i wanted to bring up today but i knew i knew there was a another another plan for it so I'm excited about this. I hope you are too. Let's all stand together speaking of worship and respond to this word with a few moments of worship.